Hi guys, it's Rachel. I'm your host for today and I am so excited about the conversation that we have for you today. My guest today is Shrey Nagalia and he is a housemaster at the Dune School where he has been for the last 11 years and I can't wait for you to hear his perspectives on education and particularly as it pertains to the Indian educational landscape um, and what he can share with us to inform our teaching here in the United States. So Shrey, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Could you just introduce yourself to the listeners? Tell us a little more about you. I, I would love to. So, um, as you said, I'm Shrey Nagalia. I teach English at uh, the Dune School, which is a 7 to 12 all-boys boarding school here in India. It's situated uh, in a beautiful town, uh, you know, on the Himalayan foothills. So, you know, it's it's really nestled in the middle of a lot of outdoor beauty, which which actually has a huge impact on how we teach in our school. Um, as I said, I, I've, uh, I teach English across curriculums. So uh, I teach English across the Indian curriculum, but also the International Baccalaureate curriculum and also the Cambridge curriculum. Uh, and that in itself has been a huge learning experience as far as subject knowledge is concerned to sort of take in the different elements of different uh, different curriculums. Uh, and as you mentioned, I'm also the housemaster, which means I'm in charge of a boarding house with a, a 90 to 100 uh, adolescent boys. So it's it's always it keeps you on your toes and it always keeps you excited about the job. So that's what I do. And currently I'm in the midst of 50 fantastic educators from the U.S. and around the world um, as I pursue my master's in private school management from Klingenstein Academy, Columbia University. Uh, so that, that that is where I am right now. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Could, could you talk as you have been in this school for 11 years and now pursuing a degree in the United States. Can you speak a little bit to the differences in the Indian educational landscape uh, and the role of independent schools there as distinct from perhaps our American context? Oh, thank you. I think I think that's a that's a fantastic question. Um, and I say it's a fantastic question also because it recognizes the fact that independent schools or even the larger education system differs from region to region, country to country, depending on so many local ground factors, ground realities. So here in India, uh, actually independent schools have come to play a huge role. Uh, there is a lot of debate in academic circles around the world about the efficacy of independent schools and how they may be predicated on, on inequality uh, and exclusiveness and whether that is right for the larger moral good. And, and those are extremely valid questions. But now in a country like India, where we have historical pressures, so we were colonized, we were a colonized country till 1947, which is not that far, far back. So we've had to, we've, as a country, we've had to contend with 250 years of colonization and the economic uh, deprivations that colonization brings. And, and I'm saying economic, but certainly economic is not the only one. So how that has panned out for education is we've had, uh, we, we have a country which has not had the resources as its Western counterparts to invest in education. The governments have never had the money. And, and also uh, to couple 
other factors we have population pressures i think it's it's a commonly known fact that india uh, has a population of 1.3 billion and within that actually are we have one of the youngest demographics in the world we have one of the youngest populations so that places certain pressures on the education system which is already impacted by fewer economic resources so what this has done this has over the years over the past 3 decades at least it has created the right conditions for independent schools to come up which schools which do not rely on government funding but at the same time schools that that uh, speak to the requirements of of millions of indians who are now climbing the wealth ladder whose aspirations for education are increasing who are now increasingly looking at how education happens in other parts of the world and want the same things for their own children so the independent school landscape has been far more innovative and far more reactive to the needs of the parents than our public school system has been able to which is why we have some very interesting statistics about independent schools so for example while in the us and and if my knowledge serves me correctly i was reading somewhere in the nais books independent schools account for 1.3% of the schools in the us whereas in india independent schools which also translates into private for non-profit schools they they comprise 40% of the education uh, sorry 25% of the education landscape but with a market share of 40% so that wow. is the level of of how independent schools are deeply entrenched in the overall uh, education system of india so when questions are raised about independent schools those questions are viewed uh, quite differently within the indian landscape as opposed to how those questions are raised in the american or the western landscape wow that's so many issues at play in thinking about the role of those schools and then their role as you said as being innovative and reactive i wonder you talked about one of the benefits of independent schools as being innovative and reactive to parents what does that do in this 21st century environment as parents are now millennial generation and potentially are becoming increasingly concerned with that value proposition of their education are you mm-hmm. seeing a change there in your unique climate in terms of response to parents and parent response to the school wow no i i i think that's a very pertinent question i think I- because of our economic la- landscape or rather our socio economic landscape even our millennial parents can be divided into certain groups so look we are a developing country uh, and it's only recently that india has pulled out hundreds and millions of people out of poverty and it's only in the last couple of decades that that india is beginning to find its feet within the global economic systems So what has actually happened is it's given rise to two kinds of millennial parents. One parents, one set of parents is the one which really has the economic means, which is well traveled, well exposed to systems in the West, um, and and they are the ones whose aspirations for the children is to actually compete with the best students of the world, and this competition usually translates into going to best colleges in in the West. So if you hear millennial parents in the US or millennial parents which belong to this particular socio economic group in the US their 
aspirations for the students are the same. They are all looking at Ivy Leagues. They have the financial means. Uh, and the pressures that they put on their children to achieve those ends are different. Then also we have another huge set of millennial parents, which I would, for the lack of better terminology, I would place as the new Indian parents. Now, these are parents who themselves did not have access to the best education in the world. Uh, and hence, they know the importance of education. So, you know, as it does in, in probably every culture, but in India, because of our past, education really has come to be seen as a life lifeline to success. It's to heaven. You know, every Indian family places a premium on education. So these huge middle class families for them, the pressure for them is to just find a good school, right? They are at the moment, maybe their exposure levels are different or their aspirations are different, but they're not so caught up as the other millennial parents with what Ivy League college the son or their daughter or their child is going to go to. For them, it is more their their expectation is can their child get an education that is going to be better than the one that they received so education is also seen in intergenerational terms so there are all kinds of dynamics that play out when it comes to the tensions that millennial parents bring to independent education system in in, in india wow i i love what you said about education really as the country has developed being critical for success and how that can span generations for you as a teacher how do you define success for yourself as a teacher but also for your students what what are your goals and your definitions of success wow again you know so i've been a teacher for 11 years and and it's only a long journey that sort of starts giving you some kind of a wisdom in terms of what you want from your life as a teacher. So I've often thought about this, and I think the one or two points that stand up, uh, and it's probably because of this, the school that I teach in, it's probably because of the schooling that I myself have, have had, and it's also probably because of the country that we live in. But to me, I think... I think I would consider myself as a successful, a relatively successful teacher if my students grow up to be good citizens. Now, I know that's a very broad generalized term, but even within good citizens, what are the qualities that I would be able to impart to my students? And I would say that the ability to really listen to multiple perspectives, whether that be within your local environment or it be at a global level, so a student who is open-minded, who is willing to listen to multiple sides, who is willing to look at how other people think and then come to an informed decision. And the other thing that I think about good citizen is leadership of service. And this is really something that, that I think the school that I work in also has a bearing on why I've come to think that leadership of service is important. So the school that I teach in, it... It, it's a first world school in a developing world. It has all the facilities that any top-notch school in a developed country would enjoy. So it has the resources. It is considered elite in positive and negative ways. And, and we do have a reputation 
of of attracting uh, attracting students from some of the most wealthy and powerful families of a country now ours is a country that is still finding its feet in the global arena we are a country that is still uh, on a trajectory where we are learning very fast and our biggest asset is our young population so india has one of the youngest populations in the world now this is the generation which 10 years down the line 20 years down the line is going to be running the country and not just that indians are great travelers so in the us itself us has a huge indian diaspora and they work in across sections of of american society so you will have indians doing very well in silicon valley you will have indians who are doing very well in business uh, you you will also have indians who are extremely necessary uh, and 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 perform functions that are necessary for the life you know for the life of any thriving economy so so in the next 20 30 years we'll have indians who will not only we'll have a generation which will not only be responsible for running a country that that is beginning to do well but also uh, but also citizens will be traveling around the world so if students can bring with them this quality of leadership of service if our indian students or especially those who are privileged to get good education who are privileged to not face the disparities and inequalities that hundreds and millions of people face in our country for these for these indians it is extremely important to recognize a how privileged they are and and hence the responsibility that that privilege brings do you earn more privilege and live with that privilege or do you spend your privilege do you make others privileged as well how many people do you take along that i think is the hallmark of being a good citizen and and that is something that i really want to be able to impart to my students and that is something that i'm going to gauge my success on you know one day when i hang my boots and i say that all right have i done a good job i probably look back and say how many good students was i able to to help along the way wow i think that's so admirable um and and touches on both your success and your student success outside of i think probably traditional metrics for student success but in a way that is probably much more valuable you mentioned the context of your own school and how the particular dynamics of your school have helped you see this idea of success at the top of our conversation you mentioned that you teach in an all boys school with three different curriculums that you're responsible for teaching how do you think those particular contexts affect the way that you do your job affect your goals um and affect your work uh, so um actually the, the, the i think these multiple curriculums have played a part in me recognizing once again recognizing the importance of multiple perspectives and how important it is to just look around and see what the world is doing and what are the best practices so even within my own subject english as you rightly mentioned so i teach across curriculums now one of the curriculums is indian uh, and and because of my indian background i can understand the forces Uh, that dictate the construction of that curriculum and those are historical forces political forces social forces but at the same time now we also do the international baccalaureate curriculum and the igcse now these are curriculums that actually have been taken from different parts of the world 
where even the subject is constructed differently. The, the, the focus points of subject teaching are different from, from the focus points of the Indian curriculum. And so what it does is it becomes a fantastic opportunity to engage because as I, as I tell my students, you're not just engaging with the curriculum, but a curriculum is the end product of a, of a variety of forces that play together. So the, through a curriculum, you don't just get exposed to a curriculum, but you get exposed to the entire context that has given rise to that curriculum. So by teaching multiple curriculums, both me as, as the teacher and students, we are all exposed to different ways of thinking that have emanated from different parts of the world. And that adds to, to the qualities that I hold dear, which is to be a good citizen to, and, and to be a good citizen at the national level means to be a good citizen at the global level. You cannot be one and not be the other. And, uh, and, and, and the other thing that it does is it keeps both students and teachers open-minded. It, it keeps us on a learning trajectory because these curriculums are demanding. And especially when you're flitting across three curriculums and, and there are huge downsides, downsides to that as well. But despite the tension the, the, uh, or, or the problems of teaching multiple curriculums within a school, it does present opportunities to engage with different ways of thinking and to, and to have conversations that may not be possible if you were to be only doing one national curriculum. So again, I think in terms of this curriculum, it, it fosters open-mindedness, it fosters creativity, it fosters questioning. And, and it's amazing, you know, when, when, when I do engage with the IGCSE curriculum or the, or the IB curriculum that are essentially Western imports, uh, within our own standing as, as Indians who are, who are learning these contexts, sometimes these, these curriculums are also empowering because it also allows us to ask certain questions of them. And that's amazing, right? So being Indians, what are the questions that we can ask of these curriculums? What are the, are there any implicit inherent biases that we are recognizing coming from our own position? And how do we recognize that? What are our own assumptions? So I think these curriculums become a great uh, tool to launch into multiple discussions, which I think are extremely important for, for our students to, to be involved with. Okay, it's so important. I, I love the way you talk about where your curriculum meets your goal, your mission for your students and their success. Um, I particularly like what you said about your learning journey and how these moments have affected you, the, the context that you teach in and your journey through education. Are there big moments for you in your education journey, a big aha moment or a key moment for you where you felt something shift or a big realization um, on your own educational journey? Right. Um, so I'm actually somebody who's always believed in celebrating small successes uh, rather than looking at a huge moment. Though, though, if I were to think of a huge moment, I think, I think not that it, it's certainly not an aha moment, but I think COVID has certainly shown not only the resilience of the education profession and its and its importance, but also its flexibility. I think the flexibility with which many, many education schools have been able to respond to the COVID crisis just goes to show the inherent strength in the system. Uh, and it also goes to show that that even those schools have have shifted to online gears, 
it just cannot substitute for the actual physical presence of both teachers and students for each other in a classroom. So I think that's a big aha moment in the sense that all these technocrat pundits, you know, and, and they do bring a lot to, 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 to the education profession. But, but when I hear this argument that there will be a time when a computer box or AI is going to take over education, I think I think this pandemic has just gone to show the importance of human interaction with it without uh, in in education, and that we may not even be able to have education without the human element. So I think that was a bit of a reassurance. I, I wouldn't call it an aha moment, considering the kind of crisis that it is. But I think in terms of the small successes, you know, one of the things that boarding school does is. We are a very small community. We we live on campus. We we eat together. There is a huge community building. There is a huge mentorship program that exists between teachers and students. So it is really the small actions. It is the small gestures. It is the small statements that I often catch, maybe not even in a classroom, but outside a classroom, that act as litmus test. And over the years, I've I've heard students come up with really compassionate observations. I've heard students be really kind to each other. I've heard students ask some really tough, difficult, courageous questions from me, from the administration, from each other. And these, these are the moments that validate what I do or what we do. If our students are able to show a modicum of empathy, of compassion, if they can show the intelligence to ask difficult questions, if they can show the courage to ask questions knowing that they are not welcome or they may be difficult, I think these are the moments I live for. Uh, these are the moments I teach for. Uh, you know, and of course, you know, to hear back from students later on in their lives when they say that, you know, I went to such and such place and it's amazing how I, I, I remembered what you taught in class when I was being taught this. And you say to yourself that, you know, this child has, has managed to remember something, some shared moment from your life. And those are my aha moments. I love that. I love how you talk about the human connection and that human element of what we do um, as as educators, and I think that that what that means is that bringing your whole self to what you're doing allows you to make those human connections with your students. So what are some of the things um, that make you, you, your own special human self? What are some of your passions and how does that influence your approach to your students and your work? Uh, so th this is interesting because back in school, I was all, always considered to be a very problematic student in terms of my grades. So if any of my teachers or, or any, I guess, responsible, intelligent adults had looked at my report card, they would not have pegged teaching as my profession. Mm. But I think what, and, and I'm trying to be modest here, but I think I've enjoyed a degree of comfort and I dare say success uh, in, in bonding with my students because I've always thought that education is not something that is dependent solely on what happens inside the classroom. I think that is only one element of, of education. So for me, I've always thought that what does outdoor education bring to the overall education experience? What do 
even conversations what are the education moments in conversations between me as an adult and students who 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 depend on my advice so because of the importance that i give to outdoor education because of the importance that i give to sports and because of the importance that i give to teaching moments that can be had anywhere thankfully my school is one that that has always been on the same line so for for example in my school there's a culture and it's it's one of the oldest traditions in school twice a year all masters and all students leave the school and they trek into the you know into the himalayan ranges the reason being it presents a huge opportunity to not just bond with each other but to learn from nature and to bring your theoretical education maybe you would have learned something in biology or geography and how do you bring that to real life so this model of teaching is something that i've always inherently been passionate about that how can i teach not just in a classroom of course that is the primary thing that i have to do but everywhere uh and and i and i'm and i'm lucky to work in a school that recognizes that and and I, that has allowed me to bring a degree of passion and engagement to my job for the past 11 years that i've been that i've been working there this this chance of being able to talk to a student while trekking 15000 feet you know and that could be a conversation about survival that could be a conversation about what do you prioritize you know when you're trekking at 15000 feet and what is important and what isn't so at that moment you know your your bottle of coke or your bottle of pepsi or your small comfort is just not as important <laughs> as you actually you know staying focused you know keeping on the job and having a goal the goal to be able to not just reach the top but to be able to take one step more than you thought you would be able to you know so um so i guess this is the passion that that i i have for my job and this is how i see it and that's how i've been functioning for the past 11 years and and thankfully the school has tolerated it Shay, you are clearly an inspiring educator. I know your answers have inspired me both with your passion for what you do and for the human element of education, um, but also for all of your insights into the Indian educational landscape and how that can inform what we're doing here and how we can better understand your context as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to share all of that with us. It was really a pleasure. the pleasure was all mine thank you for having me <laughs>